in terms of pedagogic model, um, I shifted to what what's known as active intervention as opposed to passive intervention fairly earlier on. So even when I'm doing kind of strong practice led class and I had a certain recognizable sequences that's kind of going on, but I would start using the question terms, invitation and suggestion um, terminologies instead of yeah. instruction. And if I use the instruction, that's also use that as a um, kind of invitation so that people have a chance to go through it, but still open to if they decided that it's not for them to do it right now and um, there was a room for um, for them to step out choose not to follow mm -hmm. and also there's a room for conversation welcome to the talking teaching and flow podcast my name is rafan kebe and this is a podcast about the art and artistry of teaching and of coaching others to find their flow today my guest is aki omori aki is a somatic movement therapist and educator She's a teacher and practitioner of body-mind centering and holds a diploma in the integrative bodywork and movement therapy. Aki is a qualified practitioner of neuroaffective relational model, which is a form of early trauma healing work designed for adult clients. She's also an experienced yoga teacher based here in London, UK. For more info on and how to get in touch with Aki, do visit our website given in the show notes. I hope you enjoy this conversation between myself and the lovely Aki Omori. Aki, thank you so much for being here and giving me some of your time. It's such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Lovely to be here. Thank you for asking me to come for a chat. I'd love for us to start with a bit of the past because yeah. I know that we both share the fact that we both used to be musicians. I used to play the bass guitar, and for a good 10, 15, 20 years of my life, I had one wow. goal, which was to be uh, on stage. I wanted to tour the world as a bass player, playing reggae and funk and all those things. Uh, I never really quite met it, but I understand you were a musician as well. I don't even know what you used to play. So can you give us a little yes. background of your, what, what, what is your story with music? I come from quite a music family. Um, everybody in my family, you know, either amateur or professionally, you know, a musician. And um, so from young, I thought that was what I was going to do. And so I did. So I started working, you know, singing um, since I was a teenager, professionally for a while. And then <clears throat> I moved here. I come from Japan. I was born mm. in Tokyo and I came to um, UK in mid 80s late 80s and um and then i came and 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 i continued kind of being involved in music business so i wanted to become a composer but also i was a singer but i dreaded to become a pop singer because of but because of my i don't know when i was young probably i looked quite cute so wherever i go people wanted to draw me into the pop music but for me i wanted to do like um a little bit of combination of classical music and dance music and progressive pop I used to want to call my music and um, instrumental music and then using my voice also as an instrument that's what I wanted to do but mm. in terms of career after I moved here I got involved with a pop band <laughs> so okay. I had a record record deal with a UK um, major label back oh, in the 90s yeah. yeah I did so mm. we did that for about three years but that was my job but um, I was more inspired by people like Brian Eno and the slightly, you know, the um, kind of intelligent instrumental kind of music. You know, that's what I was really into. And so I used to compose and I used to program music. Mm. And um, and I, I was the same, same as you. I thought I, I was going to be a musician and that's all I wanted to do. Yeah. But not mainstream, although I just kept being pulled in that direction. I think I wanted to become like a little bit kind of credible and, um, you know, they're admired by fellow musicians rather than, you know, general public. I see. Very, yeah, yeah. Very particular. Morning. Yeah, I, I think that theme is running through in my work right now as well. Yeah. Slightly alternative. I hear you. 
It's interesting you're saying that because I have pictures and posters on my wall in front of me. I have mm. Miles Davis, Miles Davis right here on the trumpet. I have Nina Simone right here and John Coltrane on this side. And one thing that they all have in common, obviously, is that they're highly regarded by other musicians mm. and sometimes very misunderstood by the general population. And I've always been attracted also to those people who, who are aiming so high, so to speak, that you, came, you come to a point where the truth is not many people understand you. It's, it's only people who are actually involved in the field that can go, ooh, I understand what she's doing. I understand what, she, what he's on about. Yeah. Um, so I, I share that quality um, yeah. with you very much. Is it the same for you as a teacher as well? Well, I don't know if I'm thinking like that now, you know, what other mm. teachers going to think about. Uh, no, not, not in the same way now okay. as a teacher. But I am involved in, um, you know, the, the mainstream yoga centers. You know, I, I taught for a quite long time there. Mm. Um, but then my style has always been somatic. So I had to really kind of cultivate the, and the field of even the language like somatic is being accepted. Mm -hmm. You know, it took me two years before Yoga Center would let me use the word somatic in my workshop flyer. Interesting. So they were like, well, you know, people don't know what, you know, somatic is. And um, so I had to try to break it down or, you know, description or definition of what somatic might mean, <laughs> you know, put that into the, you know, the flyer and then the, the gradually, gradually. <clears throat> I, I, you know, I really feel, I'm, you know, I feel I'm one of the people who really paved the way of somatic nice yeah. um, being in, um, accepted more widely in, um, in a yoga field. In the yoga world, yes. I mean, <laughs> similar to you, I remember having to take words such as kinesthesia and kinesthetic um, mm. intelligence and kinetic melody <laughs> melody out mm. of uh, out of my um, uh, descriptions because it was going to mm. be too complicated for people to actually buy into you know booking themselves onto workshops and the, and language as we know is very important. I mean, a lot of the somatic experiencing hasn't been verbalized yet and as such mm -hmm. doesn't have the vocabulary appropriate for it yet and that's what I think both you and I and our fellow teachers are kind of working with and against which is yeah. how to press you know what I think do. it's the challenge is forever is going to be um, because we can't talk about somatic to, ex to experience it you know we, we can talk about it but yeah. even just you know you can try to describe you know down facing dog to somebody who has never done down facing dog mm. so you can ex ex describe the shape of it and you know what's on the floor and what you might be bending and everything but the experience of that you can never yeah it is an experience so, mm. so I, it, there's always a little bit of the feeling of upheaval you know how do I convey this you know, to um, um, people who don't know. And, of course, people who already have been um, touched by the magic of, you know, the profundity of, um, you know, experiencing the somatic, you know, practice. And then they will come. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, there was um, um, initially it was almost filtering through, you know, just letting some people walk out or, you know, choose not to come to, you know, say my classes or courses. Yeah. But then the ones who come will come. Yeah. And it changed quite a bit um, because I ended up sort of um, becoming quite informed about the body. And so I had a ways of working with a body that is a little bit, you know, broken. <laughs> Could be the mind that's a little bit broken, you know. And I was able to work with that. So then there was a stage, maybe, about, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago, loads of other yoga teachers sending, you know, the people they can't handle in their classes because that would slow down their class. I see. They send them to my way and my class would float people like limping here or short legs. <laughs> <laughs> it's a compliment, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's just because... Um, 
yeah and th- at the time yeah I was really you know quite fine about it and mm-hmm. and um I have a plan maybe you know to do it in a class but then I just throw the plan as, as soon as I walk into the room and just have a one glance it's like okay let's just do something else okay raise the arm okay okay stop let's just do something else yeah yeah <laughs> It's a running themes with uh, it's a running theme with with most teachers of a, of of with a certain experience. Just talk about you know I've a plan to go in with, but knowing full well that you're gonna end up chucking that plan away and just dealing with what's in front of you, mm. and, and walking with who and what right there in the room at this specific moment. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm. Have have you always been comfortable with with uncertainty? And the ability to simply be here now, is that something you've had to walk fairly hard no. as a teacher? Okay. <laughs> no, no, I don't think, I don't think I ever been comfortable. I think there were moments, you mm-hmm. know, I felt really, um, uh, probably I was in the moment so that I didn't even have to think about it. I don't have to See. think about it. You know, those mom- moments happen, but um, no, not really. <laughs> Um, the, the cultivating the trust is an ongoing um, practice for me. But just only recently, only now, mm. I'm beginning to feel more trust. How long has it been? How long has it take, taken you? I don't know, well, 15 years, 20 years, I mean, yeah. 15 years probably. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also the you know, your practice changed, you know, I really dedicated myself big time to uh, yoga, because I thought, okay, I found something for life. And I found something that could really, I can dedicate myself to really be become free. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I did a really hard, quite sort of hard practice getting up in five and just you know and I did all sorts of practice you know mm-hmm. I had a wonderful um a teacher called Clive Sheridan who's really big on meditation pranayam and um really quite dynamic you know asana practice and we mm-hmm. do retreats when we say retreat it wasn't a holiday we do about seven eight hours of practice and and um I was with him you know a lot so months of each year I was away with him somewhere in a remote um do the practice and coming back and sharing that you know with people and but then when some kind of crisis happened I thought yoga was and I felt really free you know yoga was really wonderful it still is wonderful but um and I just realized I needed something else I had lots of deeper issues and so I needed the therapy and those things to actually find my uh, self and mm. um, the freedom and you in my path and uh, yoga could not really got me there same here same here and i think that a lot of us we're coming at a point now where a lot of us are starting to realize that as grateful as we are for the practice of yoga it will mm. never fill out all those holes it will never um you know give us everything mm. that one that what that's needed and it's Beautiful for a period of time. It gives you whatever you need as you start getting into the practice and the deeper you delve into the your practice of yoga, whatever the school you're in, there's a mm. lot to be delved into. Having said mm. that, it still doesn't contain every single solutions nor tools that you're going to need in order to um, progress in life. I, I, don't, mm. I don't believe it's, it's a fully complete system that anyone should just dedicate themselves solely to. Um, so yeah. I'm there with you as well. Feldman Christ yeah. for me has been a, a massive, massive help in actually deepening my yoga practice and deepening my teaching. Where so I'm tempted to ask you about BMC because not to say that BMC and Feldman Christ are the same, but I put mm-hmm. them, you know, on the same plane, so to speak, compared to yeah. the practice yeah. of yoga asana. When did you get into uh, BMC? And BMC stands for body body mind centering body mind centering. Mm-hmm. Um, was founded by um, um, somebody called um, Bonnie. By body, I keep saying it. I, I keep saying Bonnie Mind Centering, you know. Yeah. And uh, no, Bonnie Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen, and she's yeah. the founder. The quite quite remarkable woman, 
mm. um, somebody who had um, kind of openness in her perception to perceive things that are so easily missed. I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. And um, and then it it is kind of a communal kind of sharing, um, community kind of work. So you know she is the main person who started it, but then there's always kind of openness for people to bring in their experiences and their own research, their own discovery, and so the, as a community, it kind of grows and evolves that way. It continues to evolve still mm. now. How long have you been involved with the school? Directly with the school, maybe maybe about 10 years. But then before that, I wanted to study BMC so much, but there weren't schools available in Europe. So I was considering, you know, having to travel to America to study. And I was thinking, do I, can I afford to do this? And, and then somebody said, and there's a BMC teacher teaching the BMC material in UK, which was somebody called Linda Hartley. And she had a training in UK mm. and I jumped on it. So I trained with Linda. It's called Integrative Bodywork and Movement Therapy. So at the end of three years training with her, you become somatic movement therapist and educator. Mm. So it's a little bit more therapeutic yeah. uh, approach Linda was working. But eight, 70, 80% of the under training was body mind centering. And she was a certified teacher. Um, one of the earlier teachers of Bonnyman Century. And um, so I did that. So I have um, an IBMT um, diploma. And then I assisted on the training for about four or five years, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, being the mentoring the new trainees and for about five years. And then I did a BMC finally. (laughs) You know, by then the BMC was established. You know, there are um, licensed programs in UK and Europe and uh, France and Italy, Spain, Greece, and also the other parts of Europe. Mm. So it's yeah. Germany and so widespread. So so I went through that and then that took took about seven, eight years for me to then finally qualify as a teacher of body mind centering, which I did in 2016. Awesome. No, yeah. 2018. Uh, yeah, the BMC has, has grown exponentially. I remember checking it out seven, eight, nine years ago when I started my mm. Christ training. And there wasn't much available around, and now it's it's much more. Uh, and I love how the school seems to be not only growing, but also what it's cultivating amongst its own community and the fact that people can bring in their own findings. It grows organically in a way that mm. um, I don't think in Christ community is the same um yeah so i was i I was always inspired by that i love feldenkrais i loved Mm. it so much i used to do a lot and i think if i had money and time i would have been a feldenkrais practitioner as well yeah you know and yeah i would have been all sorts of other things but um I, i love it and there's something about it's it's getting a little bit easier as I'm becoming a bit more experienced and relaxed with how BMC works. But earlier on, um, BMC is so wide open, and that we cover so many different you know areas. You know, the body systems to developmental movements to embryology reflexes, and and really quite in depth. And so we kind of coming in which is so wide open mm. and so initiating the process with uh, say client you know can be a little bit challenging and mm. so I used to sort of fancy Feldenkrais having all these lessons laid out so that's the starting point you know there's something or even Pilates or you know something that had a little bit of kind of structure yeah. laid down yeah yeah so let, let me ask you about that because I've, I've read some beautiful quotes uh, from you um, that I can definitely relate to in relation to your teaching of movement. And similar to you, I sense that there is still there a respect for an innate structure to your teachings and to your classes. But the truth of the matter is that you've developed the ability and the capacity to then expand and respond to what's there in front of you while mm-hmm. still being aware as to what the structure underneath is. Mm-hmm. What would you say you are now mostly working 
with as a structure within your teachings? Right now, I don't know. I feel even simpler at the moment. I think it might be to do with the age, also maybe to do with a lockdown. Okay. So there's something a little bit kind of smaller. I do something really, really quite simple. Mm. Um, and um, this is something that's it's not new. I've always kind of felt this a um, little bit. You know, you, you have uh, sequences. Mm-hmm. And then you it's, it's more like a traditional martial arts way of, you know, coming into the movement. You know, that's kind of how I perceive it to a point. You know, the, you have a sequence, you have a kata, you have a form, mm. and then learn it, and then repeat it, refine it, and then go sattler. But just learn the kind of form, you know, with a big brush stroke now, and mm. then refine. And I never did it that way. I just never did it that way. I was, I was always torn. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, you know, I'm never so comfortable with the uncertainty because I never know what is right or wrong, but I just, just have to do what comes out of me. Um, so I feel after a while, maybe the first five years of um, teaching yoga, you know, I felt like there was so much form and I go really into the details and refinements and there was a strength in that because I was also a strong practitioner. Mm. Um but then as I kind of gone into more and more somatic, that was beginning to change. And I had actually, I didn't tell you, but I had um, a little bit of a major nerve damage. I don't know what caused it, but I think it might be emotional. And uh, so it was not, it didn't come from a yoga practice, but I was paralyzed a bit on this side. Maybe mm. I had a stroke. I don't know, you know. And um, so I, I, I was teaching for a while just because without moving, you know, myself. And then because it was a nerve damage, I got a little bit internally confused with my own sense memory. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I got deeply into um, um, somatic practice because development of movement, because I, I can start ro- rolling around, wriggling around on the floor to rebuild myself. And so that's when I got deeply into the, you know, body mind centering and somatic mm -hmm. work. I'm sorry I digressed. Um, But each class, I just do different things. In terms of the form, I might be doing a similar, simple things in the last few years. But the focus could be different, you know, could be spine, could be, you know, the mandible and the skull. It could be shoulder girdle. Um, it could be heart and lungs. It could be the fluid in the joints. It could be blood. It could be, you know, and I felt so flaky. You know, there was part of me was always unsure that, you know, I was not able to offer the consistency like you are doing. So you would stick with, you know, same sequence for a month mm. for people to, you know, become used to, you know, yeah. so that the brain can not have to think about it anymore after mm-hmm. a while and then they can go into the refinement but that didn't come to me you know in the end I was always flaky and the only one teacher I know um John Stark who is um kind of Scaravelli although he, I don't know what Scaravelli is anymore in his context mm-hmm. I I call- I called him flaky in his in his face, but as a compliment. But he didn't take it very well. I see. But he would do something different from one week to another. I studied with him maybe fifteen, twenty years ago. You know, for about seven years. Mm-hmm. And while I'm still doing dynamic work, and then what on, and also I was doing a lot more um, somatic work. So I overlapped my practice. But he would just do something different from one week to another. And then another week, one week, we just do this. And the following week, he might actually do something that contradicted what we did a week before. And then we are left with that to figure it out ourselves. And um, so he was in some ways, although I don't teach like he does, in some ways there was an encouragement mm-hmm. that I respected him for that bravery. 
I, I, it's something that I, I relate to. I am a fan of confusion. I, I think that it's a beautiful platform for growth. Um, mm. uh, and it's becoming, I don't know if it's becoming harder and harder, but yes, as, as the fact that you've used the word brave, I've, and that's what I'm finding out. It's a few people have complimented, complimented me on, on being brave for confusing my students and somehow being proud of it. But depending on what you're trying to cultivate, I think that um, confusion is, is an amazing, amazing tool. So, mm. uh, yeah, I relate to that. You came to class a couple of times, and it's interesting you're, you're, yeah. you're, you're relating it to you being flaky and you don't think I am. Because I, if there's one word that, at least for myself, defines <laughs> me, is trust me, flaky. The only reason that I work with sequences for weeks is, so that, is because my students somehow lovingly forced that upon me. I have a real ADD brain. I, I, I do and I want to do different things all the time. And mm-hmm. um, do you remember what you're in my class where the first 20, 25 minutes is the same more or less in every class? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It took, me, it took me years to be at peace with that. It took yeah. me years. Um, but people, regulars kept coming back to me saying, you know, no, it's good because the, the second half or the last two thirds of the class are so different all the time mm. that to have this anchor at the beginning yes. of the class, something familiar that we can just tune in, that we can tune into ourselves, we can tune into you, mm. your vibe, your energy, your voice of the day, whilst being um, moving through patterns that we recognize yeah. before, you know, new sequences. Yeah. And so I've always thought of myself as someone very flaky. I've actually used this mm. word this morning speaking to a friend of mine. So I, it's interesting that you think of yourself as such, but you don't think I am, um, <laughs> you know. But look, I, let me ask you about this because you mentioned your own practice and how strong it was and obviously the direction that it was going. And now we're talking about teaching. And for me, there's a distinction to be made between practice methodology and, and teaching method is in mm. pedagogy and what you practice is not exactly how one teaches and especially when your practice changes and evolves as it should mm. your teaching is going to go through a few changes as well yeah. and I'm tempted to ask you about I'm curious as to how you found the evolution of your teaching changing from those days where your yoga practice was a five thirty o'clock in a, you know in the morning five five o'clock in the morning type of practice to getting involved with BMC to having as you said perhaps uh, having a mini stroke and having to discover your own body again and build those neural pathways and how that has evolved into your into your teaching to the point where mm. you're now a new teacher. Mm. Would you mind speaking of of that a little more? Yeah, I think the no, I don't mind that. Um, it changed many times. Mm. You know, the it's been a quite a while, quite a few years since I a started while, a teaching. A while, mm-hmm. So, you know, that it changed many times, and um, I think I was a really good teacher um, right at the beginning. Just a love and enthusiasm, and there's a kind of sparkle in my eyes and um and also there was something about the the mm, how could I say I think I'm I'm quite good teacher as in I can break down things in a way that people would understand Mm -hmm. and English not being my first language I use metaphor a lot and if I'm feeling in my body, I come up with a metaphor. So, you know, maybe not for everybody, but I think I was, you know, pretty good teacher to begin with, I think. And um, and then and after that, much more kind of internal work became um, important. So, you know, I still do like, you know, big movement, but paying attention to what's happening internally. And, mm. and then some other big t- and then at one point, I, uh, um, maybe I'm not really answering your question. I think you are. But, I think you are. Uh, but in terms of pedagogic model, um, I shifted to what what's known as active intervention as opposed to passive intervention fairly mm. earlier on. So even when I'm doing kind of strong practice and led class and I had a certain recognizable sequences that's kind of going on but 
I would start using the question terms, invitation and suggestion um, terminologies instead of yeah. instruction. And if I use the instruction, that's also use that as a um, kind of invitation so that people have a chance to go through it, but still open to if they decided that it's not for them to do it right now and um, there is a room for um, for them to step out, choose not to follow. Mm-hmm. And also there's a room for conversation. Yeah. So the, my pedagogic model was, you know, the passive and active intervention, I think, you know, the, the passive one is more instructive, telling people what to do, a little bit spoon feeding. There's a place for that, I think, maybe, you know, at some point, maybe, if it's done well. And because I've done a lot of Iyengar practice as well. I had a wonderful Iyengar teacher. And, um, but then... Well, that's just like another conversation. <laughs> but, um, but I just, you know, and the mm-hmm. active intervention basically meaning not telling them exactly what to do, but asking them questions so they need to figure out what that might be for them. So go. that shifted fairly earlier on. Yeah. Mm. And that continued to be so. I mean, although I'm, you know, I'm quite sort of, in, I can be a bit enthusiastic so I might just kind of say, like, oh, come on, come on, do it, do it. But also, oh, if you need to lie down, just lie down. Mm. And I say, okay, the responsibility, well, say in a studio, in, on the Zoom, it's really quite different. You know, they, they really have to take care of, you know, they have to sort of come into autonomy because I'm not there. But even in a studio, okay, responsibility is half and half. You know, I would do my best to take care of you. It's my responsibility, but it's your also responsibility to take care of yourself. Mm. So could we agree with, you know, that, you know, that's the deal between us. That's a fair contract. Yeah. yeah, And um, I feel, you know, that part, I think, came into me more clearly from, uh, I'm just crediting some of my teachers, um, you know, Donna Fari. You know, she was very strong on on that. So I had to think about it and then start taking that on. And, mm. of course, the BMC is really, really like that. Yeah. So if I'm teaching, not in a class, um, yoga class or situations where the mats are laid down, I normally use circles. And so we are not really stuck in a kind of sagittal plane, teacher yeah. over there, students over here. So we explore a different sort of formation in the room as well. Mm. Now, thank you for sharing. It's beautiful. You do quite a bit of trauma work now, right? May I ask you about that transition into that specialization? Yeah, well, because I had to. Mm. <laughs> I was so quite traumatized that I didn't know. You know, I think you you probably understand, you know, there's some of the the needs to having you know needed needing to come into sort of therapy and everything but then uh, once I was also in therapy I had to then come into trauma work because therapy would just halt you know just hover you know it takes a long time Mm -hmm. and um but I guess maybe you know a couple of difficult moments in my life to make that shift I think so, you know, finding more therapeutic work that was needed because um, yoga was helping and it's really great. Spiritual practice, meditation, mindfulness, and all of this was really helping. You know, the non-dual, you know, teachings and, um, you know, self and the larger sort of self and, you know, Brahman and just all of those things. And mm-hmm. But, you know, the kind of classic well-meaning um case of spiritual um what's that one the spiritual not diversion there's a phrase isn't there spiritual bypassing bypassing yes. i think it, it just it, i managed to because i was beginning to feel i really felt like it becoming more myself and everything mm-hmm. until you know difficult situation arrived you know uh, you know rose uh, you know came up and um you know brought up my old stuff Mm. And I had no recognition of how to deal with that, you know. Yeah. And um, the spiritual practice was just like going over my head. And it's like, what's going on? 
you know, I had to let go of that raft and dive into the kind of roaring water and find another way. And so I, then I had to, you know, find therapy. And and then also a lot of this kind of functioning dissociation, you know, dissociating kind of state I had lived in, stumbling down, mm. you know, the most of my life. Took me fifty years before I'm just about beginning to recognize, you know, what had happened and what is going on, you know. I understand. And did you say did you say fifteen or fifty? Fifty. Five oh. Yes. Okay. Some of us you... have a big history. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And I'm, I'm not, and and then I'm not really ashamed of that, and then also I'm not really, uh, I'm processed really enough that, you know, I'm not. Um, regretful about anything you know there was like in my 30s I have no regret all the mistakes and everything. I'm no regret where I am da, 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 da. Mm. but it, all of that perception was oh, one more time the carpet from under my feet completely went and then have to do it like a couple of more times since yeah. but now I feel you know that all the, the you know darkest sort of part has been uh, lit so I'm not complete. <laughs> I'm not perfect or complete, no, but I know what's, yeah, what might be, you know, lurking around there and the lifelong um, practice. And then that itself feels actually quite wholesome. Beautiful. Mm, you know, as a way of life. Yeah. Wow. So the trauma work I came into it because I was interested. Mm. I guess the Peter Levine was um, definitely just one of the you know the, the people you know one of the people on in the gift to the you know humanity you know there are a few people like that bonnie's one i think for me at one point i felt like titnaham was one and mm. and and then I, I thought i might become an um, um se practitioner alongside of the you know bmc practice i was doing and i considered i met him i did his workshops and what, what's su hmm? what's su practitioner you were thinking uh, about becoming a SU? What's this? Ah, uh, SE, okay. Somatic experiencing. That's okay. the Peter, Peter Levin's um, the trauma work. I see. Mm -hmm. um, it's a score. It's very expensive. Yeah. And um, and I wanted to, you know, I was drawn to study it. I still feel it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I want to do everything. Um, I still want to become a field and Christ practitioner. I want to still want to become... <laughs> all those things yeah yeah, yeah. um but then the more i understood myself that you know mine was very early trauma not the the se it's now expanding and it's growing um, my my sense but it was more kind of shock trauma you know that sort of work yeah and i didn't want to spend a lot of money and time to study almost but not quite what i wanted and then I came across um, Dr. Larry Heller, um, Lawrence Heller, who was a founder of NAM, and that's New Affective Relational Model, which mm -hmm. is the early relational developmental trauma is always um, relational trauma. So I came across his work. So I tried, you know, family constellation type thing. There's a particular type of kind of trauma-based, you know, the identity-based sort of, Family constellation, mm. none of them quite clicked. And um, but when I came across um, Larry's book, I thought mm, maybe this is it. So I went to train with him, and so I became a non practitioner. Beautiful. Mm. So it's a really beautiful work, and so, I really quite needed it. Yeah. So who and what do you work with mostly? I do some one to ones at the moment on Zoom. Mm. But I think it's um there is no what well, I did when I qualified as a non practitioner I deliberately tried to stick with basic non format which is surprisingly dialogue based that mm -hmm. you're watching the people's state of the nervous system all the time which there's all the signs so mm -hmm. if I use the the language of Dan Dan Siegel, Siegel you know, the, the window of tolerance. So when people are actually present, when people are not really present with you, 
you know, and thanks to body mind centering, I can actually sense, you know, where people are and also myself, Mm. you know, where we are in terms of the nervous system. And um, so I'm, we're monitoring, observing all the time as we have this dialogue, but it's a lot of kind of asking the right question and then hearing the answers and then we mirror back what they're speaking. So they're beginning to hear their own patterns of speaking and their thinking and their behavior. Mm. And we don't project, we, we don't do that interpretation and um, a, a shoot assumption and the project that onto them. Yeah. I would no, say, so I, yeah. So, so mm. if I'm, if I'm speaking to you, it's like, oh, I hear you saying da, 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 da. Does that mean, is that right for me to, you know, understand it? You mean this and this and that. If not, does that sound right to you? Or does that sound, sound not right to you? you? know, so they feel they're able to sort of, you know, correct it if they need. And then they're, they're beginning to hear their patterns and just asking the right questions. But most important thing, I think, in NARM is the, what we call the contracts. Contract sounds really rigid word, but we um, speak about the, the, I guess, theme, the intention or the theme. What is that they want to, you know, look at, and what what is that you want, you know, from your life? Mm-hmm. And um, because then, whether we, well, we have this, but then not the kind of making it the goal oriented work. So that's what you want, and then let's look at what's getting in the way. So that's the material we work on. Mm-hmm, so we mm-hmm. don't work on uh, how to achieve it. So what's stopping you from getting this? And then every time, every sentence or every question they speak, we ask them, you know, what's, what they're experiencing in that moment. Yeah. Some people, you know, how do you fit in your body? You know, if you and me, we might be able to talk in those terms, but not everybody has access to the body immediately. So not all the, voca- no, no the vocabulary to express it. Yeah. yeah. So they might sort of say, oh, I feel a little bit woo-woo. Ah, okay. So what you call woo-woo? So I use mm. their language. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a really quite wonderful practice. And then coming back to your question, I do maybe one-to-one on Zoom. And, and I think I might be a better educator than the therapist. <laughs> How interesting. Yeah. I mean, I'm very good in you know in some <laughs> in some cases. Yeah, yeah. But um, mm. but I think I'm I'm more of an um, kind of educational and and so and then combining you know with that more daring to go with my gut feeling after I just sat with a numb format and then go with the gut feeling. Okay, let's just move. Let's use it. and um, in some cases we use touch. Me and my colleague Jane Okondo, she's also um, somatic movement practitioner and um, also she's an SE somatic experiencing practitioner. I'm a non-practitioner somatic movement therapist. So we're going to combine that together and create working, create the training to work with the other people, you know, mm-hmm. the, the healing of the trauma um, through their movement and the touch, somatic movement and touch. It's, it's a professional training for yeah, maybe therapists or teachers or something. In your work with uh, people one to one, do you offer challenges as well? As in, do you actually engage in a bit more of a confrontational relationship from time to time, or do you keep Dep- depending? Before? Yeah, depending on uh, um, if I'm working, you know, the trauma work. Depending on the relationship that's established uh, mm-hmm. by that point. Yeah. So if there is a right moment to challenge, if there is a, you know enough trust. Or even like the challenge, you know, just something kind of comes up and then, you know, whatever the kind of question that comes up. So how, what do you experience or you know, what? They just, they go off. They just keep going off. So initially I'll just mirror that. So I go, I just notice. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. I notice that you, every time when this comes up, this word comes up, this question comes up, I see you. So it's fact-based because I see you mm-hmm. doing this. Yeah. And um, but that itself can be already felt like a challenge because I'm not just going with them. So somehow just holding a track. So if people go off, that is somehow acknowledged. And if they have to go off, and then we go off, but that's been acknowledged. 
Yeah, awareness is key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and also the choices, like you know the 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 shavasana or something, you know, the mindfulness, and you know there was like a quite big talk about or you know close your eyes or some people that closing eyes a bit traumatic and that. You know, mm-hmm. you know, people with ADD like you and me, you know, you know, they're closing. So some people just in Shavasana glaring at the ceiling. So I might just say to the group, you know, so if you choose not to close your eyes, that is okay. But can we make it a conscious choice? Yeah. So, yeah, like you say, it's awareness, you know, thing. And responsabilizing and empowering people to actually yeah. take, take measures for themselves. Yeah, wow. so agency, yes, agency Basically. is very important. Yeah. Is there a goal towards building a greater resilience also that you offer, which, you know, tends to come with allowing people, you know, to build a certain sense of yeah. agency? Yeah, I think maybe a while ago I felt like I maybe resilience might be um, a nice word to sort of aspire. But I feel for me it's, a lot kinder, just even more inclusive. But that means actually the resilience mm-hmm. is, you know, coming, you know. Yeah. I don't know if I can define um, where I'm going, but I feel like I'm really interested in whole person, each person in their own individual way, in their own capacity and the pace to become more kind, more honest. With themselves and others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, in the process, yeah, that's, mm. that's, I think that's what I'm interested in, I think, in facilitating. Oh, yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you for that. Yesterday I was just, I'm, I'm planning, um, I'm starting another group of the, the, the nervous system group um, with all the yoga teacher trainees. So I was thinking, so what is my theme? And uh, I think it really comes down to, you know, something like that. And also my own training, I teach annual kind of residential training in Surrey, beautiful place in Surrey Hills called Nourishment and Depletion. But I think I was inspired. I was reading an interview with Bonnie Benbridge Corwin from, I don't know, early and sometime in 90s or something. She spoke just one sentence. She was watching um, a a young female dancer dancing mm-hmm. and then she would just watch and then she, she it came to her a question i wondered what her perception of nourishment might be mm-hmm. that started everything i think the whole process of me creating the programs and the trainings and and um from there explored so you know we see as a yoga practitioner and also in a dance field or you know I do contact I'm an amateur you know hobby dancer and um but you know this kind of great range of movement or just the ah you know going but then there's so much openness you know there's there's no inward kind of connection to the center with the ground or you know gravity and you know, there's, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it as a part of the process in mm-hmm. the longer term. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just then it's just a perception. You know, I'm really then became interested in perception. So that's where the, also the therapeutic and developmental aspects come in. Yeah. It's the, you know, the identity, you know, the, if your environment failed, giving you certain impression. Mm. about yourself your identity and also about the world and how they perceive the world and how they perceive the world might perceive them you know all of those sort of things you know is somehow behind this choice of movement the way they move the choice of movement the way and um, so that I still come back to that and I still feel kind of excitement just to explore from there Thank you for sharing. Before we start our conversation, uh, you mentioned that you might have a couple of questions for me. Is there anything you want to ask me? Yeah, I'm just curious about, you know, how you um, came to be, you know, the, what you do, where you are, you know, the, how you're developing. 
Mm. You know, I've been to your classes and I've kind of I've known of you um, for many years because other people go and I've seen some photographs and, you know, some of my somatic friends would kind of go, oh, he's great. And, you know, so I'm, I'm just wondering how you came to be where you are, how you work. So like you, so, so being flaky. <laughs> Still being flaky and but but consistent, and um, I think here is the remedy towards flakiness. It's um, keep on being flaky consistently for periods of time, and so what I've allowed myself to do was to reflect and to eventually start seeing the threads that I was actually mm -hmm. building unconsciously, or I should say, uh, being unaware that I was being that I was building within my practice and my teaching. Um, so that eventually it could become something that I could then contextualize better and and eventually turn into a method of sort. So mm -hmm. that's the the the, the, sh the long story short is is that is experiment experimentations upon experimentations. You know, not being able to stay in one place to stick with the one movement pattern only, and having a very creative mind. Where to me. A yoga practice and that of the seemingly boxed linear aspect of the practice that was being talked to me at the time just did not really reflect what my understanding of of liberation for the body meant mm. um, i now understand the wisdom behind it i understand that limitations and constraints can mm -hmm. be massively useful in building towards mm -hmm. something but at the same time i had no time nor respect for that idea so um, I would teach a sense meditation, and I mean, I remember my very first teacher training course 15, 16 years ago on that teacher training course, starting to create sequences that would start at the corner of the mat with the feet open in like a fifth position. From the get go, I, I wanted to explore the opening out of that box, seemingly boxed idea of, of a yoga mat. And so, yes, uh, the more it evolved and the more I was introduced to structural integration, the work mm -hmm. of Ida Rolf, mm -hmm. uh, the work of Tom Myers and Anatomy Trains. Uh, mm -hmm. And then Tom actually introduced me to Feldenkrais. That was on, mm -hmm. on the KMI training that I did my first Feldenkrais. Oh, you, you did know, a, uh, Tom's training? You did yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. That was, that was some 10 years ago and... Tom was on the, the last Feldy um, training back in the 80s, just before Moshe Feldenkrais passed away. So he was still very much influenced by him and, and, you know, interesting things to say about the guy himself, but also acknowledging that the work itself was simply magical. And um, every morning we'd have a 20, 30-minute session on the floor rolling around and most people around are osteopaths and chiropractors and doctors and just going, what? is this and then we talk about fascia for the rest of the day but that was my first introduction to real um you know walk on the floor so to speak mm. and and from then on i started my training as an osteopath being the add person that i am i wasn't able to sustain uh, that myself on this course but it was always a case like you were wanting to do this and learn and you know graduate there 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 so that eventually um you know, all of those things bubbled up into space and flow, which is now my main work. So yeah, that's the that's the long story in, in a couple of minutes. Yeah. Amalgamation of so many sources. One of the things you just said, you know, there are lots of things you've said that was interesting. You know, there's, you know, when you have a limit, we now you've said you know if you have like a certain structure and limit, there's mm -hmm. a kind of, you know, the the benefits and greatness in that. But it's knowing that, seeing it, you know, the you know from the wider context, and then that's really quite beneficial, you know, isn't it? You know? Yeah, totally. And I also another question is when you um, well, you're not doing that, but because you have the consistency, you know, with it. Mm -hmm. But do you ever feel when you uh, keep opening out, you know, breaking the rules, if you like. I often, I often talk about my practice. Okay, that's the illegal move. Let's just do the illegal move. <laughs> you know? um, breaking the rules. And do you ever feel, what's the word? Do you ever feel like a little bit scared of 
yeah, I don't know. Do you ever feel scared? Just kind of keep going off, keep opening up. Mm. I don't know. Sorry, I couldn't. Yeah, agree. I think I understand if you're if you're asking me whether I'm scared of my own creative power, so to speak, of going so far off left field. Yeah. The the short answer is no. What I'm scared is actually the reverse of that. Yeah. So I am now that I am training space inflow teachers. I like to to use the metaphors, and I'm sure you'll get it, of music. It's a case of um, I've created uh, scales and, and modes, and now that I'm teaching teachers, I realize that I've created scales and mode. But I've created those modes like a free jazz musician with a um, certain background where I knew my sun salutation fairly well and all the variants of it. Yeah, yeah, and I'm and I've broke away from the rules, but I am now regulating my own rules. I'm now the creator of the rules, and that brings about its own challenge, because yeah. at the back of my mind, I am a rebel, and I want to teach people how to rebel against rules, but at the same time, I'm the age and the, and the experience that I have. Also, I know full well that limitations are the key towards a certain freedom. So. Yeah. The battle is between offering people something that is is this, whilst at the same time saying, "But you can also do that if you want." And yeah, I you know, saying that. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's um, so my fears, if I have any, it's it's. I mean, it's not fear is not the right word. I'm really not fearful. I am just aware that uh, my work now sharing the method. Mm. Takes uh, another avenue, and I have to comply with other regulations as a trainer, and and also look at it from another point of view, which mm. is I know how to make. But as I mentioned to you early on, like how you do something and how you teach doing that things are two different things. Mm. Um, and you learn so much being a trainer, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, I know how to make that. But what's the best way for me to teach you? And especially because you mentioned ADD that you and I share. A lot of people are not ADD. Uh, the vast majority of human beings don't have a brain that thinks in five or ten different tabs open all the time. For me, uncertainty is a place of comfort. Chaos is a place of comfort. I love when I go into a class and I've got 20, 30, 40 people and I've got term meniscus over there and shoulder issues right there and pregnancy right here and someone who's not feeling well because they've got, they have their period right here and someone who's just had a, a heartbreak because their boyfriend or girlfriend has just left them. Personally, that gives me tuned in. And now I can create something that has got a thread through it that will mm. be somewhat useful for everyone. There is when I find my best work um, because I am right I cannot be anywhere else. And that I'm so grateful for when that happens because it's the place where I don't have a choice because if you give me too much choice, I am going to go all over the freaking shop. Mm -hmm. So now training people who I realize are not like this is where most of my challenges are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like being concise and giving people this is the sequence. Yeah, you know, yeah. this is what it does. This is where I normally stop. This is what I say, and this is the reason why you say it. Those are the various options you can be working on, and then do what most teachers do, which is go out there, experiment with it, and come back to me with questions. You know, wonderful. Um, yeah, it, so. you know, it's interesting you, you see an musical uh, metaphor because that's what was on my mind. By the way, I love modal music. I love composing the modal scales best yeah me too <laughs> i think um, it makes sense to us right totally yes and also you know like a, when i when i studied composition you know the while back um you know they gave me like you know pentaton pentatonic scale or something or like a four four notes five notes scale mm. and um and i compose everything orchestra everything using only those notes you know, and I really learned so much to be creative. Mm. So, you know, that's kind of what I'm assuming, you know, I'm interpreting, you know, that's what you were kind of saying. It's like I just given, you know, that and there's so much juice when we don't actually go this way or that way. But just creating of that, you know, takes a lot more, I think, you know, the, the practice or on your 
creators, you know, side as an author, as a teacher, facilitator. Yeah, I would imagine, yeah. and I can relate to how you, you know, when you have the best moments, you know, when you have this and this, and then there was a kind of running kind of thread, and and that's really wonderful, and I, you know, it's um, really I bet that's a really wonderful feeling. I hope you have learned something here, and that you get to teach it. Go to rafan.co.uk to subscribe to my newsletter. And remember that when one teaches, two learn. So do teach and learn as much as you can.